last week we did talk about the fact that as Christians, we do have a tendency to spend a lot of time talking to God, and there are certain things that we want him to do, or certain things we want him to fix, or maybe certain areas of our life where we want him to intervene, fix him, fix her, fix this, fix that, give me this, give me that. But we also learned that there are just times in our life, the journey that God is taking us on, he's really not that interested in fixing something or doing something or intervening in that area of our life. Sometimes there's just something he wants to teach us. Sometimes there's just something he wants to say to us. And if we don't create an environment in our lives where God has that freedom, uh, the opportunity to say something to us, then, then we're not going to hear from God. And if we don't hear from God, then we're not communicating because as we learn, communication is not just about talking. It's also about listening. And we also uh, learned by looking at a few of the Gospels that this was a high priority for Jesus. Uh, even when he was uh, surrounded uh, by busyness and needs and the expectations of people were at an all-time high, Jesus would often slip away to be alone with the Father. And he made it very, very clear to his disciples because they didn't understand it. They were like, Jesus, we got stuff to do, right? Jesus is like, this is the priority of my life. And when Jesus would get away and spend time with the Father, you see, he didn't just talk, he listened. And that's why Jesus could say, you know, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say because we have this intimate relationship going on here. In the same way, if we want to experience that kind of intimacy with God, there has to be communication, which means we have to learn to listen to God. If we don't learn to listen, we'll just continue to talk and we'll ask and we'll beg and we'll beseech. And to be honest with you, sometimes God will do what we want him to do, but I'll tell you the truth, most, most times he won't. And, and many times the reason he doesn't do what we ask him to do, we don't ask for the, with the right motive. See, that's not the tragedy. The tragedy is this. When we don't listen to God, we miss him altogether. And, and the problem is God has gone to great lengths to make sure we have the opportunity to be in this intimate relationship. And, and, and he did that by sending his son to die for us. But as we learned last week, uh, if you weren't here, we have a role to play in the relationship. And our part is to carve out time where we give God an opportunity to begin to speak to us through his word, the Bible. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this weekend, the benefits of doing that. And uh, understand, we, we have an advantage because God has given us his word in print. That's pretty cool. And the reason that God has given us his word in print is so that we can learn to listen to him through it. So this is what we're going to talk about. How do we use the Bible as a tool through which God can speak to us? By the way, when I was younger, I, I probably thought the same thing that many of you think, that life would just be simpler if God could speak audibly to us, you know, if we could just hear God audibly. You ever had that, like, God, why don't you just make it simple? Just, just speak to me, right? And, uh, and it's because we have questions. And wouldn't it be a lot simpler if we just had a question and God would say, yes, no, maybe, I'll have to sleep on it, I'll get back to you tomorrow. I mean, we would even take that. But it just seems like life would be easier, life would be simpler. But as I've gotten older and hopefully wiser, I've decided that it's probably not a good idea for God to speak audibly to us, and let me tell you why. I think that if God were to speak audibly to us, I think that God would talk to me about things that I don't necessarily want to talk about. See, when I talk to God, I want very specific communication. Do I get a Ford or a Chevy? Do I get the blue one or the red one? You know. Do I stay in this job or do I go to a no job, new job? Do I, do, do, I, do I buy a new house or do I stay in this house? See, I, I, I want very specific communication. I think God, as I'm talking to him, I think he would go off on topics that I don't necessarily want to talk about. For example, I might be talking to God about you. God, what's wrong with these people, you know? 
It says right there in the Bible, you'll be blessed as you serve. Why don't they serve? Why don't they give? Why, why aren't they generous people? Why, why can't everybody just get that? And God might respond, yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from, Mike, but you know what I'd really like to talk to you about today? What's that, God? About how you're treating Laura in your relationship. See, I'm, I'm not really always that interested in talking about that, right? Plus, if God speaks audibly to us, think about this. The accountability level may be higher than what we want to live with. You see, if God says something to you, if he speaks audibly to you, I want you to do this, you can't respond, nah, I'm just not really interested in that, God. Well, what else you got? See, if God speaks audibly to you and says, I want you to do this, you can't say, I tell you what, God, let me pray about it. I mean, how stupid is that? Who are you going to pray to, right? You can't do that. You see, this is what's interesting. We can wrestle with the word of God and we can justify not doing what it says. Every one of us have had thoughts like, oh, wow, I'm not sure that's what Paul really meant, right? Or you know what? That may have been relevant in the first century. I'm just not sure it's relevant today. We, can all, we all have thoughts like that. But if God were to speak audibly to us, we just don't have any excuse not to do what he says. So I'm not sure that we, we really want to live with that level of accountability. Now, can God speak to us audibly? Sure he can. He's God. He can do anything he wants to. And maybe he's spoken to you audibly. Maybe that's cool. He's never spoken to me audibly. But this is what I've learned. There's so much already in the Bible, his written word, he's already said enough. So what I want to do this weekend is I want, to sh I, want, I want us to see how God speaks and communicates through his word. And to do that, if you have your Bible, turn with me over to Psalm 119. Uh, Psalms is easy to find. There's so many of them, right? It's in the Old Testament. Psalm 119 is pretty easy because it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 150 verses, and I thought we should probably just stand and read it together, but we're not going to do that. But we are going to look at a couple of verses. And David explains in this psalm how God has spoken to him through the written word. Now, this is what's interesting. Uh, our Bible is made up of 66 books. The Bible really isn't a book. It's a compilation of 66 books that were written over hundreds of years that God, through his Holy Spirit, put together. 66 books in the Bible. When David wrote Psalm 119, he only had six, maybe seven books to pull from. And, and, and three of the ones that he had, to be honest with you, we have such a hard time getting through them because they're just so complicated or they seem so boring to us. For example, we know that David had Genesis, and Genesis is a cool book. I mean, you got, you got creation, you got the flood, you get to read about great people like Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, probably my favorite character in the Bible, you get to read about Joseph. So Genesis is good. You get to Exodus, it's like an adventure. It opens up with the Hebrew people being in slavery for 130 years, and God's attitude is like, enough's enough. And he says, hey, Moses, quit being a shepherd. You're going to be my deliverer. Go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So what does Moses do? Pharaoh, let God's people go. What does Pharaoh say? No. So we get the 10 plagues, they're cool. And, and then finally, Pharaoh says, get out of here. And there's the parting of the Red Sea. We love that, we've seen the movie, right? Maybe we've even experienced it at Universal Studios, California, I don't know. We, we've been through that. And then you get the 10 commandments. Remember Moses with the two stones? I mean, it's really, really cool about Exodus. But then he had Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Maybe Joshua, possibly Judges. But if you read the Psalms, the books that David seem to get the most out of, get this now, were Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He talks over and over about how he loves the law. What was the law? It was the one way that God could have communication and a relationship with, 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 with mankind before Jesus Christ died on the cross and, and, and built that bridge so that we could be reconciled back to God. 
But the law, it's all about rules and rituals and regulations and jumping through hoops and it's thou shalt and thou shalt not. And we read those books and you're like, you love that? You've got to be kidding. But here's what's amazing. When David talks about the law, he talks about the law not in terms of do's and don'ts. He talks about the law of God with such passion. He says, man, I love it. I meditate on it day and night. I can't get it off my mind. I can't get it out of my head. It is my comfort. It revives me. And he just goes on and on and on and on about the law. But David also discovers something else about the law. He discovered that it was extremely relational. And even though under the law, it was incredibly difficult to have a relationship with God. I mean, it was about rituals and priests and animals and sacrifices, and you had to wear certain clothes, and you had to wash a certain way, and you had to do certain things on certain days. And if you did it in the wrong order, you had to start all over again, right? Even though having a relationship with God under the law was incredibly complicated, David still discovered intimacy with God through the written word. That's what I want to talk about. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 119, uh, if you don't have your Bible, we'll put the verses up on the side screen. Uh, you can download on your smartphone the Get Hope app, and right there you'll find the verses for the weekend message, a place where you can take notes, later email them back to you. You may want to try that. Try that. But this is what David says in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97, and that just kind of sounds funny in itself, verse 97, right? Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. To which, see, we read that and respond, don't you have a life? I mean, don't you have anything to do? You, you just meditate on God's law all day long? Well, not only does David have a life, he's the king. He is a very, very busy guy. I think what David is saying is this. Regardless in the situation I find myself throughout the day, maybe I'm with my family, maybe I'm going out to battle, maybe I'm meeting with my cabinet, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm hosting a dinner for, for a head of state, whatever I'm doing, Always in the back of my mind, I'm conscious, I'm aware of God's law. I meditate on it. I process it. I see how it applies to my situation that I'm dealing with right then. And then he says in verse 98, your commands are always with me and make me wiser. By the way, phone apps are cool and stuff like that. But let me tell you a great reason to carry a paper Bible. Okay, I know it's old school and retro, but let me tell you why it's a great reason. I don't journal, but I write all over my Bible. And I can make notes, and I can circle things. And for years to come, I have Bibles that are 30 years old, Bibles that I got when I graduated from high school. And I still keep those notes, and I still go back and review those notes. That's the beauty of bringing a Bible to church with you. But if you do that, if you, if you write in your Bible, let me have you circle some words. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser. Circle that word than my enemies. I have more insight, circle insight. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. And then I have more understanding, circle the word understanding, than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Now, let me tell you what David is saying. This is so important. David is saying, God, because I have spent so much time in your word, you've taught me these three things. I have wisdom that you've taught me through your word. I have understanding that you've taught me through your word. I have insight that you've taught me through your word. And these things, God, they form the basis for every decision I make in life. In other words, God, I can make the decision that you want me to make because through your word, you've given me the foundation to make the right decision. I have wisdom, I have insight, I have understanding. And what we're gonna learn this weekend, in the very same way, if we get the wisdom, insight, and understanding of God's word, we're going to make good decisions. We're going to make the right decisions. I mean, there's something you need to know about your relationship with God. God isn't really interested in telling you whether or not you should get the red one or blue one, or the Chevy or, or the Ford. He's not really telling you, interested in telling you, do you stay at Lenovo or jump over to IBM? 
Do you stay in a relationship or do you get out of the relationship? That's not what God wants to do. You know what he wants to do? He wants to teach you wisdom and insight and understanding so that we have the foundation to make good decisions in every walk of life. That's what David is saying. And he says, God, because of you, I have more wisdom than my enemies. I can outsmart those guys. I have more insight than my teachers. Maybe a lot of you students, you you already feel that way, right? I have more understanding than people who are way more experienced than I am. And God, it's all because of what you've taught me in your word. But he doesn't stop. He goes on to verse 101. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet, look at, the, look at the passion he has for God's law. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Look at that last phrase again. I hate every wrong path. Now, if you're here this weekend and you're a teenager, middle school or high school, or maybe you're a college student, this is huge. You know what David is saying? David is saying, God, as a result of my time in your word, you have given me insight. You've given me understanding into evil. God, you've given me insight and wisdom. You've given me understanding into sin. Consequently, God, because you've given me that insight, I am going to avoid self-destructive behavior. I am going to avoid self-destructive habits. I'm going to avoid bad decisions because, God, you've given me the insight, the wisdom, the understanding to see through sin. In other words, I am able to see sin for what it is. That's what this verse is saying. Now, let me tell you why that simple truth is so important. Many of us sitting here this weekend, if we take the time to think back a little bit, there, there are some big regrets we have in our lives. Decisions we wish we would have think, the things we wish we would have done differently. Decisions that we wish uh, we would have made differently. We all have those things. And, and it may be something because of the consequences, it kind of still defines you today. I mean, God will always forgive us of whatever we do, but we often have to deal with the consequences. The consequences don't go away. And one of the reasons the consequences don't go away. It's God's way of saying, see, you don't, want to go, you don't want to go there again. I think you learned that lesson the hard way, right? And so we all have these big regrets. Most of those regrets we have could have been avoided. Maybe it was a financial decision. Maybe it was a relationship you should have never gotten into. They could have been avoided if we would have had wisdom, insight, and understanding. If we would have been able to see through the decision we were about to make, through the sin we were about to commit, if we had been able to see through the temptation. And this is what's interesting. Looking back, I guarantee you, when you were getting ready to make your decision, there was somebody in your life saying, don't do it. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You're getting ready to make a bad decision. This is going to be a huge mistake. See, but in the middle of it, we don't see that. This is what we think. Ah, this will work out. I don't see any mistake. I don't see any downside. I figured out how it's going to go. In fact, I think this is going to make me happy. But if we think back now to that experience, that decision, And the person who was saying, don't do it, bad decision. If we would have seen as they saw, we would have done as they said. In the very same way, this is what God says. Listen, if you'll begin to see life as I see life, you're going to begin to do as I say. Because God says, I'm going to give you the insight to see sin for what it is. I'm going to give you insight and wisdom and understanding so you'll realize that the promises of sin, they just don't hold water. Sure, it sounds cool. It sounds sexy on the outside, but I can promise you this. I'll give you the insight to understand that that the pleasures of sin, they're just not going to last. But God says for that to happen, you've got to spend time saturating your mind with my word. Look at verse 105. We'll stop with this verse. 
Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. We've heard that before, probably have sung it, right? In other words, David says, your word, it's, it's like a lamp that lights the path that I'm walking down. When I'm in darkness, when I'm not sure what decision to make, so, so I know which way to turn, to the right, to the left, I know which way to go, right? In other words, God, you communicate with me through your word in such a way I know how to live my life. God, I know how to handle uh, my relationships. I know how to handle my finances. God, I know how to conduct my affairs. And it's not because of some book I picked up at Barnes and Noble. It's not because I went to a counselor. It's not because I downloaded this really cool podcast. It's not because I attended a seminar. It's because of your word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But you got to understand, see, this goes way beyond making decisions. It goes to the core things of our lives. And this is why this is so important. Our Heavenly Father, He wants us to get to the point where we begin to see as He sees. He begins to think, we begin to think as He thinks. Because, see, if we can begin to see relationships the way God sees relationships, if we can begin to see love the way God sees love, if we can begin to see sex the way God sees sex, if we can begin to see our finances the way God sees our finances, or our job in the marketplace, if we can begin to see our kids as God sees our kids, then His decisions and His desires for us, they're gonna make a lot more sense. And we're going to be much more likely to follow through. I mean, all of us have things in the Bible that we struggle with. We read certain verses. We hear a, tr a truth, a principle, a precept. And it makes no sense to us whatsoever. And we're like, I'm not doing that. That's just stupid. I mean, this is 2014. That may have been a big issue in the first century. That just doesn't make sense today. See, man, that's why you can be reading through Ephesians chapter 5 and you'll come across this verse that says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and lay down your life for her. And your response is, I can't do that. I have my own life. And if I spend my life looking out for my wife, who's going to be looking out for me? Who's going to have my back? Or ladies, you'll read Ephesians 5 and it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And you read that and you think, I am so sure. I mean, I think Paul is smart, but he definitely didn't ever meet my husband. I mean, this can apply to me. That must have been a cultural issue back in the first century. It just doesn't make sense. Or see, a single resists, right? And, and they, they discover in, in God's word that God created sex. It is so cool that God created. It's better than ice cream, better than everything. But here's the deal. God says, it's, it's something that's to take place between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. And outside of those boundaries, it's off limits. And so if you're single, you're reading the Bible and you think, I, I'm so sure, that's just stupid. Maybe that worked back in the first century when they got married at 12, right? But now, now we don't get married until we're in our 30s. I am so sure I'm going to wait till I'm in my 30s to have sex. See, we read stuff like that and it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't make sense. Do you know why it doesn't fit and make sense? It's because we don't see as God sees but when you begin to get into his word and you begin to saturate your mind with God's word, when you begin to see as God sees, see, it makes perfect sense. And one day you'll be reading the scriptures and you're like, why didn't I see that before? Now it makes sense. So God is basically saying this. I basically want you to know me the way I know you. And I've made it easy for you. I even wrote it down. And I, I want you to allow me to change your thinking, change your attitude. I want you to allow me to change your way of seeing life. And the way you do that is by allowing me, God says, to give you wisdom and insight and understanding. 
And as my child, as you begin to study the Bible, as you begin to work through that process, you will begin to see as I see, and you will begin to think as I think. And when you begin to see and think as I think and see, you're much more likely to do as I said. I mean, if you're a parent, you, you know all about this. Because every parent at some point has had to sit back and watch as their child is getting ready to make some disastrous, boneheaded decision. And when they do that, you know, we basically go into parent, a parent mode, and this is what we say. Son, daughter, if you can just forget being 13 for a minute, 16, 18, 25, 30, whatever it is, if you can just forget your age for a minute, and if you would just take this from the perspective of a 45-year-old man, a 50-year-old woman, a 55, 60-year-old parent, right, that's learned some lessons in life the hard way, someone who's paid the stupid tax, if you could just see this the way I see this, you wouldn't do what you're about to do. How many parents, you, you, you've had conversations that sound something like that, right? The rest of you are lying. <laughs> Your kids aren't that good. I can just tell you that right now. I know some of them, okay? We've all had those. If you could, honey, if you could see friendship the way I see friendship, you wouldn't have those friends. Or, or son, if you could see education the way I now see education, you, you would take your education more seriously. All right, I'm 55 now. If you could see health in your body the way I see health in my body, you would be a lot more careful about what you're doing to your body, you know? And it's as if we just, we just want to lift our kids up and say, look, see, forget being 16, forget being 20, see what it looks like from up here. That's the heart of our Heavenly Father. He says, listen, I want you to see as I see because you'll probably do as I say do every time. And it's because what I want you to do, God says, it just makes so much more sense from up here. It just makes so much more sense if you can see it from my perspective, but you're not gonna see it by just riding around town listening to worship music. You're not gonna get it by just showing up every once in a while at church and listening to a message. You've gotta do what David did. You've gotta prioritize some time where you're open to my word and you sit down and say, God, I don't need an audible voice. I've got it right here written down. I just want you to speak to me, and I want you to give me wisdom, God, and I want you to give me insight. I want you to give me understanding that serves as the foundation for every decision I make in every walk of life. And I'll promise you this. If you'll have that attitude, this is what will happen. God will use his word to reveal things to you about you you didn't even know were in you. This is what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, look at the side screen. For the word of God is living. It is not a dead document. It's a li living, breathing, active document. It is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's not a big deal to us. It was a big deal back then. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what it means? It means that if you will, will reprioritize your life, if you'll begin to prioritize time around God's word, God will do things at your soul level. God will do things at your heart level. God will do things at your emotional level. Nothing else can do. God is gonna begin to give you insight into yourself that will give you a stepping stone to begin to make progress emotionally. You know what I've seen God do? I've seen God through his word help people begin to understand the insecurities that drive their self-destructive behavior. I've seen God through his word show people the anger that they have buried deep down inside of them that drives their depression. 
And it's because of Hebrews 4.12. It's because the word of God is sharp and it's able to judge both the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So you got to understand, there are some things that God wants to say about you. And nobody has the insight into you that God has. We also discover in God's word just how amazing his grace is. It's there something we can discover. We all need to discover that we're fully accepted in Christ. We discover that we don't have to perform and jump any th through any more hoops to, to, to experience his acceptance and love. You know, it's given to us as a gift. I was talking to somebody recently, and, and uh, you know, I, I talk to people all the time, and, you know, especially when they blow up big time, you know, like break one of the big ten, especially if it's one of the top two, you know. And, uh, and this often what I'll hear is, man, what I'm concerned about is when I have to stand before my maker. This is what I tell him. Well, I wouldn't worry about that. Why not? Because you're forgiven. You're forgiven. In Christ, you're a new creature. In Christ, positionally, God sees you as he sees his very son, Jesus Christ. We say, what do you mean I'm forgiven? Yeah, all your past sins are forgiven, your, your present, your future sins are forgiven. They're like, how do you know that? Because Jesus ain't going to die again. He only died once and for all. Your sins are forgiven, right? Now, here's the thing. You can hear a thousand sermons on that subject. But the morning you get up and open your Bible, say to Romans chapter 7, and you get to the end of the chapter, and you hear with the great apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, this is, his, this is what, how he described himself. The things I ought to be doing, I don't do. The things I shouldn't be doing, I can't stop doing. I do them all the time. And then he says this, wretched man that I am, and I don't know why the translators put a chapter break there. But then it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, oh, it's like Paul says, oh, yeah, how could I forget? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ. I'm not condemned. See? Or you're reading through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you get to verse 17. It says, in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Everything is new. See, you can hear that all the time in a message, but when you're reading it and God makes those verses explode in your heart and mind, it will ignite something inside of you where you will get up and you will never be the same. Well, let me wrap this up by just giving you some, some quick practical application. And uh, I'm going to speak to parents. I'm going to speak to singles. And then I, I want to speak to students for a second. Um, as a parent, let me give you some advice. Help your kids understand the relationship between the decisions you make about life and God's word. In other words, every time you make a decision at home, find a way to link it back to what God has taught you, what God has said to you in his word. And you say, well, he hadn't said a whole lot to me lately. See, that's why you, that's why you have to carve out some time, get your Bible and start reading. And, and while you're reading, ask God to speak to you and ask God to give you opportunities to link the decisions that you make on a, on a daily basis back to his word, his principles, his precepts. Maybe it has to do with money. Maybe it has to do with time. Maybe it has to do with priorities. Maybe it has to do with relationships. But teach your kids how you do that. For example, um, one of the things my dad did, and he was here last night, and, and uh, it was so cool to have him here while I was talking about this. When I was about five or six years old, I'm one of four kids, and we grew up in a little 900-square-foot house with three bedrooms and one bathroom, and, and we were poor. But this is what my dad taught me. He gave all of us at about the age of five or six a box of offering, uh, offering envelopes. You remember old school days where you got a box of offering envelopes, and it was 52 envelopes, one for each Sunday of the year, and they actually had the date on them, you know? And you had a little number so that when you gave, they could, put it, they could credit it to your giving. My dad would sit us down, and he'd say, this is a principle you need to understand. We don't have much, but everything we have comes from God. Everything. 100% of it. God has asked us to do this. Give 10% back to him. 
And the reason he's asked us to do that, first of all, it shows God that we trust him and we put him first in the area of our finances. And second, it allows us to invest in the expanding of his kingdom here on earth. So this is what I'm going to, he would give us each a box of envelopes. And he says, every time you make some money, whether you're cutting the grass, babysitting, whether grandma gives you a dollar, and you, every, every Sunday, I expect you to take 10% of that money and put it in an envelope, and I want you to turn it in. And I got to tell you, my dad tied that biblical principle and truth into why we did what we did, and it is a principle that has stuck with Laura and I. For you. And then we used to think, well, tithing's the goal you get to. Mm-mm. It never stops. It just never stops. God, God gives more, and you give more back. I mean, it's just, God is just incredibly good that way. But see, you need to do that. You, you need to sit down with your, don't link your decision to how, I went to Cornell. This is why I'm doing this. I'm just that smart. Don't do that. You know, don't link your decision to, I'm dead and I said so. That, that, see, that's, that's not a good reason. Be able to say, son, daughter, here's the principle. Here's the wisdom. Here's the insight. It's right here in God's word. And do for your children what only you can do by instilling in them a desire for this book. See, that's why some of you here this weekend, your parents never instilled the giving principle into you, so it just became a part of your nature and character. That's why your finances are such a mess. That's why you're not a generous person. It's not something that's been instilled into you. Don't do that to your children. Pass it on to them, right? You don't do it by, you don't do it by forcing it down there. You sit down, and you can go out and play soccer just as soon as you finish reading Leviticus. You don't, so you, you don't do it that way. You do it by living it in front of them. And it's an investment that will reap dividends for the rest of their lives. Now, single adults. If you're here this weekend and you're single, you are still facing one of the biggest decisions you are ever going to make. Do you get married? Who do you marry? When do you get married? Do you get remarried? That's a a really sticky one. Because you know what the Bible teaches? There are only two reasons for a Christian that you can get divorced and get remarried. Uh-oh. Now I'm going to make you sweat a little bit. You have to find them. <laughs> One is in Matthew chapter 6, and it has to do with sexual immorality, unfaithfulness, a lifestyle of it, not even an affair or one-night stand, a lifestyle of it. Jesus said, okay. The other one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can find them on your own. But basically, the Bible teaches outside of those two guidelines, well, yeah, you can get divorced, but you don't have biblical grounds to get remarried. If you want to get married, you've got to go back and marry the person you were married to before. It gets very, very complicated. See, God takes marriage very seriously. You know what he said? Malachi 2, I hate divorce. Now, I know half of you are divorced. I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on. I'm going to do a series in January, so you're just going to hang on for four months, where I actually clear this up for everyone. So just bite your nails and be nervous until then, but you'll anticipate it a lot more. But see, we've gotten it all screwed up. People come to my office. A couple sits down. Our marriage is in trouble. We, we think about getting divorced. Why? We don't love each other anymore. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I thought it was something serious, you know. And they're, they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, thank, thank God. Marriage isn't based on love. It's based on a commitment you made to God and each other. See, love, that's a decision. That's a decision. So, I mean, you're going through this minefield. As a single, you desperately need the wisdom, the insight, the understanding of God. See, it's too late to figure out what is the biblical foundation you want to live on when it comes to marriage. When you're in a gorgeous restaurant and he just bought you a lobster, and now he's on his knee in front of everybody staring, and he's holding a bright, shiny diamond up saying, do you want to marry me? It's too late then to say, I wonder what God says about marriage. 
That's not the time to try to figure out what your foundation is. It, it, it's too late to figure out what the biblical foundation is for moral and sexual purity when you're in the backseat of a car, you know, with your clothes halfway off and the window steamed up. That's not the position you want to be in. That's, that's not a good word, position. That's not the situation. <laughs> that's not the situation you want to be in to decide, I wonder what God thinks about this, right? I mean, by that time, you're in the love fog. None of us think straight when we're in love. That's just the nature of being loved. We, we move into the love fog, and we get out the other side married, and we're like, what the heck just happened, you know? And that's okay. That's how love's supposed to be. We're stupid when we're in love. But when you're going through the fog, see, you need a boatload of wisdom and understanding and insight. That's why if that life partner, they may not even be on the horizon right now. They may not even be showing up on the radar screen. This is your opportunity to prepare. This is your opportunity to get ready so that when it's time to make that decision, you have, you have formed and established a biblical, godly foundation about marriage and sex. See, as a single adult, you need to see what God, as God sees when it comes to singleness, Paul says, in some cases, it's better to be single. you got to consider that. you got to see as God sees when it comes to marriage, when it comes to sex, when it comes to money, because it will make it so much easier in this culture to do as God says if you can see as he sees. Now, students, and then I'm going to let you guys out of here. I know that the last thing you want to hear your parents talk about is your friendships. You know, you don't want to hear it, and it's because, you know, uh, it's just a touchy, that and music. You don't want to hear them talk about your music each right? So one of the wisest things you can do as a teenager, as a college student, is this. You can say, God, help me see friendship the way you see friendship. Because you just need to know this. Your friends are, without a doubt, they are going to determine the quality and the direction of your life. They're going to. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals. They're going to determine the direction and the quality of your life. And so if you will begin to see friendship as God sees friendship, you're going to be much more open to do as God says when it comes to those relationships. I'll give you something you can do. Get the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters in Proverbs. Just sit down and read a chapter every day. Just start on the first of the month, chapter one, chapter two, and just go through it. And if, if, it's, if it's shorter, then read two chapters in one day, it won't kill you. Just do that over and over again for a year. God will give you more insight into relationships and wisdom as it relates to relationships than you can even imagine. But see, if you don't do that, if you don't take the time to discover God's perspective, then you leave it up to mom and dad. That's their job as parents, right? And you don't want to hear it, and they don't really want to say it, and you end up with World War III in your home. So before you get there, get into God's Word and say, God, help me see friendship the way you see friendship. Because here's our principle. If you begin to see as God sees, you're much more likely to do as God said. I want you to hear Nicole's story. She's on staff with us here, how listening to God transformed her life. And we'll close with this. Watch the side screen. I'm Nicole, and this is my story. I grew up knowing about Christ. My mom would bring me to her prayer group when I was a child, and these women always had a word of encouragement from God. I had no doubt that there was a God, but over time, I wanted independence, and I just didn't want to listen to anyone else. 
I went to college and I finally broke free. Unfortunately, each decision I made brought me further from the God that I knew. Each poor decision brought more regret to the point where I didn't care and sought it out. There wasn't a day where I didn't drink, smoke pot, pop pills, or use cocaine. I was on a high or a low. I ended up going to jail for drunk driving and was put on probation for a while. And after the judge realized I was a good student and heavily involved in school, he asked what the hell I was doing there. And I didn't have a good answer. Probation was over and I ended up in San Diego for more of the same lifestyle. In my heart, I wanted more from life, but I just didn't know how to get there. My family always reminded me to pray for God's will to be done. And after binging all night on God only knows what, I went to the ocean and just broke down. I remember looking out at the ocean and asking myself what I was doing with my life. For so long, I intentionally chose the wrong thing. I didn't want to run every life decision past someone I couldn't even see. I just refused to listen to the wise voices in my life. Sitting on the beach, I remember asking myself, I am a Christian, right? That day, he reassured me that I was. Shortly after, I got a call from my mom reassuring me that God was everywhere. God had authority and God was all-knowing. He knew what I was up to, he knew what was in my heart, and he knew that I had faith. That day, I listened to the voice that I was running from for years. Instead of giving myself to addictions and guilt, I gave myself to God and what he wanted for my life. A seed was planted when I was young, and even though I went prodigal for a while, I now live for him. I've been blessed with a beautiful family of five. And I also went on my first mission trip to Uganda and got to share my testimony with all the women there. Instead of hiding the fact that I believe in God and have faith, as a photographer I even share my heart with my clients. I still have struggles and life is far from perfect, but now I choose to listen. You know, God says, I've made it as easy as I can. I even wrote it down for you so you didn't have to memorize it. Everything you need to make the right decisions in life, he says, it's right here in this book. You can get it in any color you want, several translations. I mean, you can even just read it off your iPhone. But it's almost as if God says, really, there's really nothing else I need to do. You just need to figure out how to learn to saturate your mind with my word. And then listen to what I'm going to say. It will change your life. Because, God says, if you'll begin to see as I see, you're much more likely to understand why I said it, and you'll do as I said. Let's pray together. God, this is my prayer for us this weekend. Let the light of your word shine down into the dark places of our hearts and help us to see ourselves as you really see us. Father, I pray that you will let the promises of your word encourage our soul. God, let the truth of your word begin to reshape our attitudes. And Father, I pray that you would let the wisdom of your word guide every decision that we make. 
and we will give you the credit and the glory for the transformation that's taking place in our lives as we're conformed to the very image of your son, Jesus Christ, because of your precious written word that you've given, inspired, and saved for us. We thank you for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.